Chapter Thirteen of Bunker Bean by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As the little old last year's car bore them to the north, some long sleeping image seemed to stir in Breed's mind. Got car like this myself somewheres, he remarked. Bean was relieved. He didn't want the name of a woman to be brought into the matter just then. It's all right for town work, he said. Good enough for all I want of a car. It's awful, said Breed, obviously forgetting the car for another subject. What can I do? She says she's got the right, suggested Bean. She'd take it anyway. I know her. Pack a suitcase. Had times with her already. Takes it from her mother. Can't be too rough at the start, declared Bean. Manage em, of course, but it's out there finding out. Velvet glove. He looked quietly confident, and Breed glanced at him almost respectfully. When? Haven't made up my mind yet, said Bean firmly. I may consult her, then again I may not. Don't believe in long engagements. Breed's glance this time was wholly respectful. You're a puzzle to me, he conceded. Bean's shrug eloquently seemed to retort, That's what they all say sooner or later. They were silent upon this. Bean wondered if Julia was still fussing back there, or had she sent to White Plains for some more? And what was the flapper just perfectly doing at that moment? Life was wonderful. Here he was to witness a ball game on Friday. They were in the grandstand, each willing and glad to forget for the moment just how weirdly wonderful life was. A bell clanged twice, the plate was swept with a stubby broom, the home team scurried to their places. There he is! exclaimed Breed. That's him. Breed leaned out over the railing and pointed to the greatest pitcher the world has ever seen. Bean sat coolly back. The pitcher scanned the first rows of faces in the grandstand. His glance came to rest on a slight, becomingly attired young man, who betrayed no emotion, and in the presence of twenty thousand people, the pitcher unmistakably saluted Bunker Bean. Bean gracefully acknowledged the attention. He knows you? queried Bean with animation. Know me. He looked at Breed almost pityingly, then turned away. The pitcher sent the ball fairly over the plate. Strike one, bellowed the umpire. With him all morning, said Bean condescendingly to his admiring companion. Get shirts same place, he added. His cup had run over. He was on the point of confiding to his companion the supreme felicity in store for Breed as a grandfather. But the batter struck out, and the moment was only for raw rejoicing. They forgot. Bean ceased to be a puzzle to anyone, and Breed lapsed into unconsciousness of Julia. The game held them for eleven innings. The greatest pitcher saved it to the home team. "'He was saying to me only this morning,' began Bean, as the pitcher fielded the last bunt. But the prized quotation was lost in the uproar, pandemonium truly reigned, and the scene was unquestionably one of indescribable confusion. Outside the gate they were again Breed and Bean, or rather Bean and Breed. The latter could not so quickly forget that public recognition by the greatest pitcher. "'You're a puzzle to me,' said Breed. "'Lord, I can't go em yet. Have to take me club.' "'Can't make you out,' admitted Breed once more, as they parted before the sanctuary he had indicated. "'Often puzzle myself,' confessed the inscrutable one, 
as the little old last year's car started on breed stood on the pavement looking after it for some reason the car puzzled him too bean was wondering if julia herself wouldn't have been a little appeased if she could have seen the pitcher single him out of that throng some day he might crush the woman by actually taking the pitcher to call at his door he dismissed the car he wanted quiet he wanted to think it all out that morning it had seemed probable that by this time he would have been occupying a felon's cell inspecting the magazines and fruit sent to him instead he was not only free but he was keeping a man worth many millions from his own home and perhaps he had caused that man's wife to send over to white plains for some more it was ramta all ramta if only everyone could find his ramta cassidy was reading his favorite evening paper the one that shrieked to the extreme limits of its first page in scarlet headlines and mammoth type it was a paper that bean never bought because the red ink rubbed off to the peril of one's eighteen dollar suit cassidy who for thirty years had voted as the ward boss directed was for the moment believing himself to be a rabid socialist wall street crooks he began in a fine orative frenzy drinkin their champagne whilst the honest poor's lucky to get a shell of hops rahabin the tax-payer for it buy floozy gowns and jeweled breastlets for their fancy wives and such i know the kind will not one could do a day's bacon or windy washin he held the noisy sheet before bean and accusingly pointed a blunt forefinger burly blond divorcee routed society burglar across the first two columns but the proceeding was rather tamely typed and the burly blond's portrait in evening dress was inconspicuous beside the headlines flurry in federal express wild scenes on stock exchange millions made by gentlemen's agreement gentlemen hissed cassidy the same agreement that two gentlemen porch climbers has when one climbs whilst the other watches to see is the cop at the upper end avenue of the beat millions med whilst i'm workin for twenty per month and what slipped me the same not buyin many jewels nor private steamboats millions med i know the kind will bean felt his own indignation rise with cassidy's he was seeing why they had feared to have him on the board of directors apparently they were bent on wrecking the company by a campaign of extravagance the substance of what he gleaned from cassidy's newspaper was that those directors had declared a stock dividend of two hundred per cent and a cash dividend of one hundred per cent they were madly wrecking the company in which he had invested his savings such was his first thought and they were crooks as cassidy said because for two years they had been quietly through discreet agents buying in the stock from unsuspecting holders rascals agreed bean with cassidy having but slight gifts for character analysis tellin the poor dubs the stock was going down with one hand and buying it in with the other said the janitor lucidly bean was suddenly troubled by a cross-current of thought when you wrecked a company you didn't buy in the stock you sold he viewed the headlines from a new angle those directors were undoubtedly rascals but was he not a rascal himself what about his own shares maybe there's something we don't understand about it 
he ventured cassidy i know the kind well persisted cassidy the idle rich small use they have for the workin man souls no wider than the black of your nail might have had good reasons said bean cautiously millions of him assented cassidy with a pointed cynicism and me own father dying twenty-three years ago from exposure contracted in county mayo bean returned the paper to its owner and went slowly in to ramta one of the idle rich well that is what kings mostly were if you came down to it at least they had to be rich to buy all those palaces but not necessarily idle the renewed ramta would not be idle it was not idleness to own a major league club for the first time in their intercourse he felt that he faced the dead king almost as an equal he was confronted by problems of administration as ramta must often have been he must think if the flapper quite madly brought about an immediate marriage they would for their honeymoon follow the home club on its western trip and the groom would not be idle he would be looking over the ground then he would buy one of the clubs if he proved to be not rich enough for that not quite as rich as one of the idle rich he would buy stock and become a director he was feeling now that he knew how to be a director that his experience with the express company had qualified him he wondered how rich he would prove to be maybe he would have as much as thirty thousand dollars and he was a puzzle to breed he looked knowingly at ramta when he remembered this ramta had probably puzzled people too he went to the office in the morning still wondering how rich he might be the newspaper he read did not enlighten him though it spoke frankly of federal express scandal if the thing was very scandalous perhaps he had made a lot of money but he could not be sure of this it might be merely newspaper vituperation which was something he knew to be not uncommon the paper had declared that those directors had juggled a twenty million dollar surplus for years lending it to one another at a low rate of interest until alarmed by clamoring stockholders they had declared this enormous dividend taking first however the precaution to buy for a low price all the stock they could but the newspaper did not say how rich any one would be that had a whole lot of margins on that stock at kennedy and balch's maybe you had to hire a lawyer in those cases entering the office he was rudely shocked by tully good morning mr bean said tully distinctly good morning returned bean stunned by tully's mister a uh, pleasant day he added yes sir said tully again distinctly bean controlled himself and went to his desk mister and sir gee am i as rich as that he thought half an hour later it no longer seemed to him that he was rich at all he was seated opposite breed taking letters in shorthand as if he were merely a thirty-dollar-a-week bunker bean. Breed was refusing to recognize any change in their relationship. He made no reference to their talk of the day before, and his detached cuffs stubbornly occupied their old position on the desk. Was it all a dream, and the flapper too? But the flapper soon called him to the telephone. Poor old Pops came home late, and he says you're just perfectly a puzzle to him, she began i know said bean he says he can't make me out and moms began to say the silliest things about you until i just had to take her seriously so i perfectly told her that woman had come into her own in this generation thanks to a few noble leaders of our sex 
it's in granny's last speech at the league and that sent her up in the air i don't think she can be as well as she used to be and i told pops he had to give me some money and he said he knew it as well as i did so what was the use of talking about it and so he just perfectly gave me fifty or sixty thousand dollars and told me to make it go as far as i could but i don't know that grocer says the cost of living is going up every day because the senate isn't insurgent enough and anyway i'll get the tickets and a suite on that little old boat that sails wednesday i thought you'd want a day or two and everything will be very quiet only the family present coming into town for it you know wednesday morning and the boat sails at noon and i'll be so perfectly glad when it's all over because it's a very serious step for a young girl to take granny herself says it should never be taken lightly unless you just perfectly know but of course we do don't we i think you'll like fumed oak better after all and poor old pop saying you're such a puzzle to him he says he can't make out just how many kinds of a perfectly swear-word fool you are but i can and that's just deliciously enough for anybody and you're to come out tomorrow and have tea and things in the afternoon and i'm going to be before sister is after all she's perfectly furious about it and says i ought to be put back into short skirts but i perfectly knew it the very first time i ever looked at you stay around there in case i think of something i've forgotten good-bye wednesday the little old steamer sailing at noon a steamer he couldn't swim a stroke and was always terrified by water and the trip west with the home team what about that why had he not the presence of mind to cut in and just perfectly tell her where they were going but he had let the moment pass it was too late he didn't want to begin by making a row and breed was puzzled by him that way was he couldn't make out how many kinds of perfectly swear-word fool he was he regretted that he had not been more emphatic about those cuffs, and Breed had said it after witnessing that salute from the pitcher's box. He must be a hard man to convince of anything. What more proof did he want? Buzz, buzz, buzz. The man who couldn't make him out was calling for him. For an hour longer he took down the man's words, not sneering pointedly at the cuffs, yet allowing it to be seen that he was conscious of them. A puzzle, was he? hoping to have prompt action court and above structions remain yours very truly she's got it all reasoned out concluded breed she just told me said bean little old steamer sailing wednesday can't make you out said breed that thing was getting tiresome you're a puzzle to me too said bean huh what's that what kind of puzzle same kind said bean brightly hmm said breed and pretended to search for a missing document then he eyed bean again know how much you made on that federal stuff i was going to ask a lawyer confessed bean i got a whole lot of margins or whatever you call em around at that broker's maybe he wouldn't mind letting me know stock'll be up to six hundred before weeks out net you around four hundred thousand exploded breed in his most vicious manner four hundred thousand margins he wanted to be cautious dollars damn it shouted breed bean was able to remain cool that amount of money would have meant nothing to him back on the nile why should it now it wasn't the money i was after he began loftily ah <laughs> principle of the thing concluded bean breed had lost control of his capable under jaw it sagged limply at last he spoke slowly and with awe in his tone you don't puzzle me any more he shook his head solemnly not any more i know now little old steamer can't swim a stroke said bean so said breed still shaking his head helplessly 
At his desk outside, Bean feigned to be absorbed in an intricate calculation. In reality, he was putting down 400000 and then $400,000, then $400,000.00 decimals. By noon, he had covered several pages of his notebook with this instructive exercise. Once he had written $398,973.87, with a half-formed idea of showing it to old Metziger. As he was going out, Tully trod lightly over a sheet of very thin ice and accosted him. "'The market was not discouraging today,' said Tully genially. "'It's a good time to buy heavily in margins,' said Bean. "'Yes, sir,' said Tully respectfully. In the street he chanted, four hundred thousand dollars to himself he was one of the idle rich he hoped cassidy would never hear of it then passing a steamship office he recalled the horror that lay ahead of him little old steamer but was a financier who had been netted four hundred thousand dollars to be put afloat upon the waters at the whim of a flapper she was going too far He'd better tell her so in plain words, say, Look here, I've just netted $400,000, and no little old steamer for mine. I don't care much for the ocean. We stay on land. Better understand who's who right at the start. That is what he would tell the flapper. Make it clear to her she'd had her own way long enough. Marriage was a serious business. He was still resolving this when he turned into a shop. I want to get a steamer trunk. Sailing Wednesday, he said in firm tones to the clerk. It was midnight of Tuesday. In the steam-heated apartment, Bean paced the floor. He was attired in the garments prescribed for gentlemen's evening wear, and he was still pleasantly fretted by the excitement of having dined with the Breed family at the ponderous townhouse up east of the park. He tried to recall in their order the events of those three days since he had left the office on Saturday. His coolest efforts failed. It was like watching a screen upon which many and diverse films were superimposing scenes in which he was an actor of more or less consequence, but in which his figure was always blurred. It was confounding. Yet he had certainly gone out to that country place, Sunday for tea and things, taking nap, and the flapper with a sinful pride had shown him off to the family. He and the flapper had clearly been of more consequence than the big sister and the affianced waster, who seemed to be an agreeable young man, were simply engaged in a prosaic way and looked prosaically forward to a church wedding. No one thought anything about them, and Sister was indeed made perfectly furious by the airs the flapper put on. Mrs. Breed, from one of the very oldest families of Omaha, had displayed amazing fortitude. She had not broken down once, although she plainly regarded Bean as a malignant and fatal disease with which her latest-born had been infected. "'I must be brave, brave,' she had seemed to be reminding herself, and when Nap had chased and chewed her toy spaniel named Rex, until it seemed that Rex might pass on, she had summoned all her woman's resignation, and only murmured, "'Nothing can matter now.' There had seemed to be one fleeting epoch which he shared alone with the flapper, feeling the smooth yielding of her cheek, and expanding under her very proudest gaze of ownership.' and a little more about fumed oak panels and the patent laundry tubs. Monday there had been a mere look-in at the office, with Tully saying, Sir, with Breed exploding fragments of words to a middle-aged and severely gowned woman stenographer who was more formidable than a panorama of the Swiss Alps. 
and who plainly made Breede uncomfortable, and with Bulger saying, Never fooled your Uncle Cuthbert for a minute. Did little old George W. Wisenham have you doped out right or not? Ask me, ask me. Wake me up any time in the night and ask me. Tuesday afternoon he had walked with the flapper in the park, and had learned of many things going forward, with solely his welfare in view. Little old house, surrounded on all sides by just perfectly scenery. Little old next year's car little old going-away rag, little old perfectly just knew it for the first moment she saw him, little old new rags to be bought in Paris, and sister only going to Asheville on hers. And the dinner in town, where he had seemed to make an excellent impression, only that Mrs. Breed persisted in behaving as if the body was still upstairs, and she must be brave, brave, and Grandma the demon, confiding to him over her after-dinner cigarette that he was in for it now, though she hadn't dared tell him so before, but he'd find that out for himself soon enough if he wasn't very careful about thwarting her. It made her perfectly furious to be thwarted. Nor did he fail to note that the stricken mother was distinctly blaming the demon for the whole dreadful affair. Her child had been allowed to associate with a grandmother who had gone radical at an age when most of her sex simmer in a gentle fireside conservatism and die respectably. But it was too late now. She could only be brave, brave. And he was to be there at nine sharp, which was too early, but the flapper could be sure only after he came that nothing had happened to him, that he had neither failed in business, been poisoned by some article of food not on her list, nor diverted by that possible other one who seemed always to lurk in the flapper's mental purlieus. She just perfectly wanted him there an hour too early, all there was about it. These events had beaten upon him with the unhurried but telling impact of an ocean tide. Two facts were salient from the mass. Whatever he had done, he had done because of Ramta, and he was going to Paris, where he would see the actual tomb of that other outworn shell of his. He thought he would not be able to sleep. He had the night in which to pack that steamer trunk. Leisurely he doffed the faultless evening garments. He was going to have a waistcoat pointed like the waster's, with four of those little shiny buttons and studs and cufflinks to match, and donned a gaily flowered silk robe. With extreme discomfort he surveyed the new steamer trunk. Merely looking at a steamer trunk left him with acute premonitions of what the voyage had in store for him the flapper was the flapper and it was the only way ever to see that tomb the packing began the choice garments were one by one neatly folded a light tan overcoat hung in ramtah's closet back of the case ramtah was dragged forth and for the moment lay prone he was to be left in the locked closet until a more suitable housing could be provided and cassidy had been especially warned not to let the steam-heated apartment take fire he found the coat and returned to the half-packed trunk and the bedroom where he resumed his wonderful task, stopping at intervals for always futile efforts at realization of this mad impossibility. It was all Ramta. Nothing but that kingly manifestation of himself could have brought him up to the thing. He dropped a choice new bit of haberdashery into the trunk and went for another look at it, prone on the floor in that other room. A long time he gazed down at the still face, his own still face, the brow back of which he had once solved difficult problems of administration. 
the eyes through which he had once beheld the glories of his court the lips that had kissed his long-dead queen smiled with rapture upon his firstborn and uttered the words that had made men call him wise it was not strange not unbelievable it was sane and true he was still a king he reached down and laid a tender a fraternal hand upon the brow the contact strengthened him as always he could believe anything wise and good of himself he could be a true mate to that bewildering flapper full of understanding and kindness he saw little intimate moments of their life together her perplexities over fumed oak and patent tubs and marketing for pure food always her terrific earnestness now and then he would laugh at that but then she would laugh too sometimes the flapper seemed to show with an engaging little sense of shame that she perfectly knew how funny she was but she was staunch she had perfectly well known the very first moment she saw him and she had never spoiled at all like that other one in chicago by asking him if he was fond of nature and good music and such things the flapper was capable but quiet with his hand still upon Ramta's brow, in that half-timid, strange caress, he was flooded with a sudden new gladness about the flapper. She was dear, if you came right down to it, and Ramta had brought her to him. He erected himself to look down once more. They knew those two selves understood each other and life. It occurred to him for the first time that Ramta too must have liked dogs must have been inexpressibly moved by the changed souls that were always trying to speak from their brown eyes he looked over to knapp who fiercely battled with a sofa cushion and was now disemboweling it through a rent in the cover he wondered what ramtah's favorite dog had been he went back to the bedroom to finish his packing ramtah could lie until the moment came to lock him again in the closet to leave him once more in a seclusion to which he had long been accustomed he worked leisurely, stowing those almost advanced garments so that they should show as few wrinkles as possible after their confinement. Occasionally Knapp diverted his thoughts by some louder growl than usual in the outer room, or by some noisier scramble. The trunk was packed and locked for the final time. Thrice had it been unlocked and opened to receive slight forgotten objects. The last to be placed directly under the lid was the entirely scarlet cravat. He was equal to wearing it now, but a sense of the morrow's proprieties deterred him, the stricken mother. In deference to her, he laid out the morning's wear the nearest to a black cravat that he possessed, an article surely unassuming enough to be no offense in a house of mourning. He fastened the straps of the trunk and sighed in relief. It was a steamer trunk, and he was to sail on a little old steamer, but other people had survived that ordeal ramta would have met it boldly ramta he stood in the doorway his attention attracted to knapp who had for some moments been more than usually vocal in a far corner knapp had a roundish object between his paws and his sharp teeth tore viciously at it he looked up and growled in fierce pretense that his master also wished to gnaw this delectable object a moment bean stood there looking looking slowly certain details cleared to his vision the details of an unspeakable atrocity he felt his knees grow weak and clutched at the doorway for support the body of ramta was out of its case and half across the room yards of the swathed linen unfurled but more terrible than all the head of ramta was not where it should have been 
in the far corner the crouching nap gnawed at that head tearing mutilating desecrating napoleon it was a cry of little volume but tense and terrible napoleon destroyer of kings in this moment he once more put the creature's full name upon him the dog found the name alarming perceived that he had committed some one of those offences for which he was arbitrarily punished he relaxed the stout jaws crawled slinkingly to the couch and leaped upon it once there he whimpered protestingly one of the few clear beliefs he had about a perplexing social system was that nothing hurtful could befall him once he had gained that couch it was sanctuary bean's next emotion was sympathy for the dog's fright he tottered across to the couch mumbling little phrases of reassurance to the abject nap he sat down beside him and put a kindly arm about him why why nappy yes all right yes he was most beautiful doggy in the whole world yes he was he hardly dared look toward the scene of the outrage the calamity was overwhelming but how could dogs know any better timidly at length he raised his eyes first to where the fragmentary head lay then to the torn body something about the latter electrified him he leaped from the couch and seized an end of the linen that bound the dummy he pulled and the linen unwound he curiously surveyed something at his feet it was a tightly rolled wad of excelsior the swathing of linen he had unwound it to where the hands should have been folded on the breast had enclosed excelsior dazedly he looked into the empty case upon one of the new boards he saw marked with the careless brush of some shipping clerk watkinson co hartford connecticut again as with the unstable lilac bushes his world spun about him it drew in and darkened he had the sensation of a grain of dust sucked down a vast black funnel outside the quiet room the city went on its ruthless noisy way in there where dynasties had fallen and a monarch lay prone a spotted dog sporting with a papier-mache something came suddenly on a cold hand flung out on the rug nap instantly forsook the sham for the reel deserted the head of ramtah and laved bean's closed eyes with a lolloping pink tongue End of section thirteen